You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. Uh, it's it's another great day with the, the homies. I, I'm, I'm Frank. I'm one of your hosts. I'm here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my buddy... Uh, up in Maryland, Jeffrey Simpson. Hello. Down in the sultry Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar Pete. Hello. And then um, again, uh, 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 by himself, abandoned, um, Andrew Solo. Larson. Yeah, Andrew Larson. Uh, so Tim Miller, last time you saw him, he ate uh, a spicy chip. And immediately got COVID. <laughs> and so, so we haven't seen him, man. I feel bad for the guy. I will say, we were talking about this off air. Hold up. We do have to say, according to CDC guidelines, we have not confirmed that spicy chips are transmission of COVID. That's true. We, my my well, theory is the spiciness, like you guys were wrecked because of the spiciness. Yeah, I think it so lowered your immune system. That, 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 I think, you know, exactly. Like the sinuses were, were emptied. You guys were queasy. You were weak, so the immune system was so drained that you were breathing he became deep, susceptible, super deep. I will yeah. say, I will say that, uh, and maybe it has nothing to do with a spicy chip, and it might not have anything to do with the Sunday Cool Friends. But the part of Florida we were seemed like but it was just like a. It definitely has to do with that part of the state. <laughs> <laughs> the part of the state we were in, it seems like it was just a hot. You guys remember COVID. that truck we drove by with all those flags? <laughs> oh, I do. That's all we, we can say about that. We, we can't talk about it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but yeah, um, you know, shout out to Tim. I, I I will say we were talking about this off offline about like um, people who are like super not believing in COVID and, and all that stuff, but like. After seeing Tim get COVID, like no offense to anyone here, but of the five of us, he's Tim is like this, oh. <laughs> he he exercises on purpose. Like yeah. Tim is probably, to Hulk. Tim is like, like the healthiest like he, of the five. He plans times when he knows he's going to get sweaty and out of breath. <laughs> For me, that's always like accidental, and I don't want it to happen. No, for me, it's like, oh man, I've got to put my shoes on. I got to psych myself up to it. Where's the shoehorn? Yeah. Where's and the then I'm like, oh, okay, man. It, Tim and I buddy. are buddies on the Apple Watch with the fitness, and like I'm trying to get all my steps in. He's already got his in by like 1 p.m. It's like Tim has walked 12 miles. I'm like, what do you do? Well, all and, kids and the whole time that he was walking those 12 miles, he was swinging kettlebells over his head every step. <laughs> Andrew is like, the, the only time you do crunches is when you put your shoes on. It's like, <laughs> it's really funny. It's bad. I'm to the point now where like when I get out of the shower and I put on my, my underpants, I have to go right leg first. And sometimes my left leg gets caught. Like I need, yeah, dude. I need, I need some real mobility work because well, my, I'm my, struggling. The, the thing I dread the most is catching a big toe and falling down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have ripped. I have those old Navy boxer briefs, they're super soft, but one sharp oh. toenail, and it'll just go right through those bad boys. I think we need to title this episode the most oh. 30s dad bod episode yet. For sure. Oh, I For mean, sure. My, my point in bringing this up was the fact that Tim is probably the healthiest of all of us. And not only did he get COVID, but it was like, it put him in the it hospital. Bad. Literally in the hospital. I don't know. Nobody knows this, but I was at a, I was down in Florida during that same week, and I was at a golf tournament in the Trinity area where Tim was, and I like looked up from the green I was standing on, and I saw the golf flag, and then directly behind the golf flag was the sign on the side of the hospital 
So I took a picture of it and was like, hey, Tim, you in there? Kind of kidding around. And he texted back, yeah, buddy. Like, I'm yeah. in here. And I was like, oh, man, I feel bad now a little bit. I, I mean, I, I, to be transparent, like, I think up until now, when I think, when I thought of COVID, I'm like, yeah, this is like, it's a, it's a serious disease, especially for those who are like not healthy. But I Old will say people and feeble people. Right. But to see Tim, Tim get it and then Tim to get like wrecked by it, like kind of shattered any kind of like presuppositions that COVID is like the disease for the week. And it's, I mean, I don't know, man. I felt bad for Tim. I was like, really, like I was praying for him. It was, it was rough for him. But well, uh, we, we all know like that the real, better. the as as much, you know, Tim, we're, we prayed. I know I prayed for you. Texted you a few times. I just want to know how your wife made it through this. Like, <laughs> what a trooper! I don't even know her, but what a trooper! Because five five kids, five and children. So here's the thing: they they're at a school that's like a, a it's a Christian school co op thing where they're homeschooled two days a week and they're at school three days a week. His wife teaches second grade, but Jeez. they have five kids, so they have. Um, it's like the joke at the school was, you know, we'll be able to make it f- through just fine as long as the Millers don't get it because they have a kid in sixth grade, fourth grade, third grade. She teaches second grade and first Man, grade. What a and caveat, then huh? <laughs> and then their youngest is in preschool. So they had so in this whole K through eight school, the only grades that did not have to quarantine because of the Millers were like kindergarten. <laughs> Seventh and eighth grade. Everybody else in the school had to quarantine at some Man, imagine point. Imagine that. Imagine that kind of power. Right? Imagine, imagine that email going through. Hey, sorry guys. My like bad. if they if they ever were at like a different church down the road in the future, or they were a different family, like they're that family that that pastors a small church's fears. Like, don't mm-hmm. want to make them mad. Their kids are the whole youth group and children's ministry. Well, I just imagine yeah. the church you know, or the school, they basically, what's going through the community is the entire school shut down because of COVID. Dude, they don't know it's like one family. No, it's spreading the family. teachers, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so I actually have a, a – so we have there's something in our culture that just came up, and I think it six weeks into a clergy cliff note in a second – but as you guys know, over the weekend or it was late last week, the CDC uh, changed the rules that if uh, if you are vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask inside or outside. And there's obviously some kind of like um, there's different like kind of like stipulations to that, like a city can still mandate some things. And there's some other places that not in st- Florida. Well, well CDC Florida. has no legal power. They can't actually mandate it's, anything. All they can do the, is recommend health. Yeah, it's their recommendations and stuff. So. Like I've been seeing, I mean, I actually subscribed to a couple of churches' um, emails just to see like how they're communicating to their people, and, and my emails have been blowing up as like we're changing our rules, we're changing our guidelines. I've been seeing yeah. social media, and so um, just to be transparent, like I like uh, I actually haven't heard any changes from my church yet. I think it's because from the time it was announced to now, there just hasn't been a meeting yet to talk about it. So I'm sure later this week I might hear something about. Either I'm sh- like either we're waiting for Milwaukee to change or we're just going to do something. I, I haven't heard yet what we're going to do, but um, but I guess my question is: I know uh, Andrew, you're you're in Florida, and so that so you is, don't count. You've been doing that, this. That, <laughs> there are no rules here. <laughs> and, and Delmar, you are in um, the, um, the 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 the. There are the less South. rules in, in South, South Carolina, Carolina than there are in Florida. Sure. There are. I had a joke. When it was I, processing. You have to wait. I oh, had it was it was uh, yeah, I did glitch. What is it called? Uh the, the, fix, the, the oh here we go. I got it. The joke came. All right, guys. I'm gonna start over. 
Um, and Delmar, you live in the gun holster of the South, uh, South Carolina. <laughs> uh, so they don't care, right? Uh, about, uh, about any rules. Yeah. But but me and Jeff, me and Jeff in the liberal north, uh, with uh with uh Antifa, we all have all kinds of masks and I'm just kidding. This is this joke is getting you, in the weeds here. The rule is now <laughs> when simple. When, when you're Ill, get when vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. That's yeah. what POTUS tweeted. What is, say that again? Say it again. I was just reading the POTUS tweet. The rule is now simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. Yeah, but the it's not actually a rule. I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying. If- like, this is a time when living in the United States with jurisdictions being able to make their own, like, rules is maddening. Because, like, you don't, which, who has the rule? What's the rule? I don't know what the rule is. The CDC said this, but they don't make rules. They just. Make recommendations, Big guidelines. No, nah, we love that in make, South Carolina because oh, I don't make, know the rules. States I'm make laws, and then counties make laws within those states, and then private businesses. Now, what's funny to me is I've never seen so many people who are all about private businesses being able to do their own thing flip the script right now. <laughs> it's so fu- it's it's just funny. So many conversations I've had, like I can't believe stores are allowed to have their own mask policies now, and I'm like, well. That's what they've. Do you hear had. about that that one baker in Colorado that he refused to make a wedding cake in the shape of a mask because of uh, he didn't real. believe in COVID? I <laughs> know. Gotta, I'm, <laughs> I'm about to say that's got to be Babylon B. <laughs> also, are we going to talk about people pouring gasoline in the grocery bags? Hey, there was I, a guy I, doing I, Tupperware I, here in Sumter, bro. What? <laughs> I feel like some of that some of that is misinformation. I think some of that came from like older, like a couple years ago, um, like. When there was another gas uh, yeah. crisis or whatever, but I mean, for sure, people, people are panic buying gas though. Or but, but what's funny is like Florida is not connected to that pipeline. No, and they're like freaking out, and I'm like, it's we're like, not freaking out. Although when I I was up in Georgia on Wednesday and on Thursday when I came down, um, I went by Tim's house because he had borrowed some gear of mine and I that I needed for a side gig, and so I went by his house and like he he looked rough, but that's another story for another day, but. When I was going down 54, none of the 7-Elevens had gas. So I had 13 miles left to go before I found a Wawa. <laughs> oh, those people are going to have like all those. But now everybody's, everybody's fine. There's no gas shortage in Florida. It was yeah. a one day. One well, day did you see the guys? Slow. Did you see the picture? There was one. He had like, well, it was in South Carolina, but he had like six 50-gallon drums on the back of his truck filling up. I've heard about that. And I'm like, he's going to literally be putting that beside his 2,000 rolls of toilet paper for the next, you know. No, that weeks. gasoline's all going to go bad before he uses it. Honestly. It's got an ad on Craigslist. So, <laughs> so, Andrew and Jeff, since you guys are the, the lead pastors at your churches. Yes, uh, we are. Has anything changed with the new CDC guidelines? Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, so, you know, we, we have people that sit outside, and I was talking to some people yesterday, and they had been out of town. They're like, you know, we've been gone for a couple of weeks. What are we doing? And I said to them, like, they're like, you know, we're fully vaccinated. Like, we're okay wearing masks. And I said to them, I honestly, I have my, and my mask was like hanging from my one ear because I was outside. I said, I wear this so that I can take it off on camera at this point. This is like, like so, we still have our signs up. They're like, you know, hey, we want you to leave two seats between you and the next party, and here's a mask if you don't have one. But we we have not said anything. We have not made the announcement. Hey, you don't need to wear this anymore. But I would say there are maybe, you know, ten out of seventy people that are still wearing masks. One thing that is a little bit different is 
Melissa was talking, my wife, Melissa was talking to um, a mom in our church and she's a single mom. And she was like, this is great. Like, we're not going to have to, you know, have the kids doing all this anymore. And the mom said, well, until the kids can be vaccinated, I'm not going to require that my kid wears a mask, but me not wear one because that sets a bad example for me as a parent. So I'm going to keep wearing it. And Melissa's like, oh, that's a good point. Crap. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of curveballs with that with kids ministry and stuff. That's, there's a that's whole the thing, lot of curveballs. That's the thing we're running into right now. And I'm sure in bigger churches, that's even like, Frank, you said no decision has been made, but. I am absolutely positive that some executive pastor is pacing around his office. Like, what are we going to, you know what I mean? I'm sure that people were wringing their hands, calling each other. What, what do you think? What should we do? I can't imagine in a bigger church setting. I mean, that's a whole different ball game for you and Dell. Like there's just so many more moving pieces. I know I was, I was going to say, I know a lot of big churches that are, what they're doing is it's like masks are optional for mm-hmm. everybody except in kids ministry. Yeah. And so basically kids and youth, and a lot of church, well, mostly kids now because you, a lot of youth can get the vaccine. But um, uh, kids ministries and kids ministry volunteers stuff to wear the mask. That's what I've seen in quite a few churches, which is an interesting. It, it part of it doesn't make sense to me, but um, but I understand why they do that. Anyways, go ahead, Jeff. I was, go ahead, Andrew. I was visiting my my buddy's church in Atlanta on uh, Wednesday of last week, and you know, so it was youth group time, and so. He was masking up. He was like telling the kids to put their masks up. And they say, you know, hey, we've got two more weeks because their church has said, you know, we are going to wear masks until this date. Mm. And then on that date, they're going to have a separate seating section in their services where if you want to sit around masked people, you can go through this door and you can sit in this section. And this is the masked only section. And everywhere else will be up to the discretion of the family. That's interesting. I've heard churches doing that. That rubs me the wrong way. Like, ah, I don't want to create more division in my church, but isn't that I'm like not... saying you can only pee on this side of the pool? Maybe. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so for us, I mean, you know, the CDC guidelines changed and what was crazy for us is our governor had said that uh once Maryland got to seventy percent of adults having at least one vaccination. Uh, then they would lift the mask mandate as a state. And so, um, but then the CDC guidelines changed and he changed course. And so CDC changed. He said that on like Monday last week. Then on Thursday, I think it was the CDC guidelines changed. And on Friday morning, he came out and said, we're lifting the mask mandate. So there is no longer a statewide mask mandate. And then our county followed suit. Our percent positive numbers are like, around 2% now. So they're re- they're as low as they've ever been since we started this. So for us, what we have said to our congregation from the beginning is um, in the beginning, our governor was making closing things down, like basically every Thursday, it was like every Thursday, he'd get on Facebook live and YouTube, have his press conference and say, now we're going to have to close this or open this or whatever. So we just told our congregation, look, our advisory committee meets on Monday nights. Anytime there's a change that's made on a Thursday or Friday, it is not going to affect the next Sunday. So don't expect us to, if something drastic changes, except with the exception of like, if we have to shut down, but if anything changes, we are going to wait until the following Monday when we meet. And then we'll tell you what we're going to do. Uh, because that we just, we're not going to make a rush decision. We're going to respond. We're not going to react. That's the language I used. So we just did the same thing and everybody already knew. And it was kind of nice. There was, one or two people who asked me, wait, so do we still need to wear masks? And when I reminded them, yes, 
because uh, we're going to meet Monday night, which actually we're, that's tonight. And then we're going to decide. Um, my gut feeling is we're going to go, uh, like what you said, Frank, optional. And then if you're in children's ministry uh, or we don't have a youth ministry, but if you were, then you'd have to wear a mask if you can't be vaccinated. 12 and up in Maryland can get vaccinated. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for the youth pastors around here that I know that that's, you know, the ball's rolling on that. But that's what we're doing. So uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to move to um, masks becoming optional. And honestly, I think probably 80% of the people coming to my in-person gatherings right now are going to continue to wear masks. That's just how it is here, at least for a few weeks, I think. Um, cause a lot of people that are either not vaccinated or have one shot are going to, I mean, myself included, I'm going to keep wearing mine until I get my second, uh, my second shot in those two weeks go by. So guys, we've, we've got some new information. I, I just read this tweet it says the CDC now says it's okay for heaven to meet earth like a sloppy wet kiss. There Ooh, we go. Sweet. No masks just, involved there. I just thought that was funny. So I would read it to you. Appreciate that. You're so welcome. yeah, uh, we actually on Sunday we did do a bit of a. I did break my rule a little bit because I did tell my congregation we've been doing six feet between household members this whole time, and on Sunday I I went to my my board and was like, hey, look, everybody's kind of already breaking this rule, and I'm not really enforcing people shaking hands and starting to give hugs. So I'm going to say like, hey, as of today, we're still wearing masks, but if you're comfortable, and you know. And I explain like read, read body language and ask if someone's comfortable to give a hug. I mean, hug away. Some of you, some of you honestly just need a hug. Like you haven't really hugged your friends in like a year. And there was a lot of people who really appreciated that. They were like, thank, you know, thank you for. So I think it's just a, it's a matter, especially in a smaller church pastors, you've got to like really kind of understand your people and feel, you got to feel like, kind of, not to get too weird, but you got to feel things kind of in the spirit and, you know, realize where your people are and where, where, if you loosen this, uh, that really kind of, you know, sets a tone of kind of Thanksgiving. And so that's what we did yesterday. We, we loosened on the no touching rule, but then the masks I would guess after tonight are going to become optional. It's interesting that the way that conversation morphs depending on where you are, because in South Carolina, we're, we're having conversations about when are we going to have the cover dish? Can we bring, yeah. Because because we've been probably the opposite the last month or so has probably been eighty percent not masked mm-hmm. coming and then twenty percent. But it's interesting as soon as the guidelines changed, we had people come back to church yesterday who weren't coming at all, but they came and were both present and unmasked. So like mm. a, the, it really alleviated a lot of their anxieties, which I'm I'm grateful for that. You know, it's wonderful to see their faces again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we're going to take a quick break so we can um, uh, pay the bills with uh, a, an ad. But when we come back, we're going to dive into a clergy cliff note to talk about like what is going to look like or talk about what it's possibly going to look like after we are kind of almost fully open and kind of what life is going to be like. So we'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, uh, I found this article on uh, Unseminary. It was an article called Insights After Six Months of Being Reopened. There's a church called Christ Fellowship Miami who never closed. No, I'm just kidding. They they uh, they reopened uh, in late October of 2020. And there's a couple insights that they had. And so us people who are a little further north who opened up a little bit later or, or not as open as they did, 
um, you know, these may be kind of some kind of perspective on how we can see what life is like. And, and, and I know for a lot of us, we've been open for maybe a couple months now at partial sizes or with unique rules. And I just kind of wanted to go through these and kind of ask you guys some questions about their insights and maybe what you've noticed. So here are the things they noticed. One is uh, this is a church that has how many camp like eleven campuses or seven local and eleven global campuses. Okay, yeah. So quite a few campuses. They said smaller campuses had a higher rate of return. Their online uh initially took a dip, but then their, their online has grown. Uh then they said because they live in Miami, so I know Andrew, you know this, is like weather still has an impact. They talked about how there was a tropical storm that hit, and even though people want to be together, the weather still prevented them from being there. Uh, screen fatigue is an excuse talking about, you know, they're tired of a screen. Uh, he actually mentions the Zack Snyder cut of uh, justice league. It's like, if people are still willing to watch four hours of a movie, they, they're just making excuses, which I thought was interesting. They said Easter brought back a lot of regular attenders, but what was unique is they did not see an East, a post Easter dip. So, uh, so you can read the whole article. It's the link is in the show notes. But my question for you guys is this is if you were to kind of unless you actually have those numbers, guess the percentage of people who have returned from your original like normal numbers to now, where is that? And and Jeff and Andrew, you guys, you know, I have I, I my campus one of the smaller campuses, and, and I think you guys would openly say you guys have smaller sized churches. They said their smaller campus uh had the higher rate of return. What would you say is your percentage? of return so far in your campuses it's about 30 30 to 40% of what was here okay so we were running around well i don't want to say the numbers cuz then uh, my math will be revealed um that's why i'm not an executive pastor it's about 30% okay. it's like a third it's like a third of the room you know we're about back. 70% you're 70% back yeah but we've and, also and start- been back since in some capacity We've been back since June. So we were out, you know, end of March, April, and May, I think like 11 weeks of nobody on campus. And then we started to come back in June a little bit. And now yeah, we we're about 70%. We didn't move 70%. back inside and we didn't move back inside until November. Okay. So we went the whole summer and part of the fall, either online or outside. We went from March to November, either online or outside. Delmar, uh, is your. I don't know the numbers of your the size of your church, but I'm guessing that your main campus is larger than your campus. Yes, is that a true yet. statement? Yeah. Okay. So, so with their, their, they said that their smaller campuses had a higher rate of return than their larger campus. Did you see that to be true at your church? Initially, yes. And when I say yes, I mean our first week back, we came back. 90%, which was freakish. Well, it might, let me lie. It might've been like 85, but it was really high. And then one person at Alice drive got COVID and it freaked everybody out. And then it was like, someone came along and put a bullet in the head of the horse, you know, and it, it just tanked us out the bottom. And I'm, we haven't fully recovered. Well, we haven't recovered from that at all. I would say right now, we're, we're probably around where Jeff is probably about 40, 50%. Um, just because of the way that the nature of the beast. Also, one thing that really went against us, and this is unique for us. So I wouldn't hold it for everybody. The school we were meeting in had to displace us because of school guidelines, you know, government oversight stuff. So we had to relocate to a skating rink 
And that's just a really hard sell to come to church at a skating rink um, where you don't even have rooms. Yeah, the Holy Rollers. So we're actually making some moves right now to get replaced back into a school, which is going to dramatically increase what we're able to do just as far as space. Um, right now, the name of the game is feeling open and spacious, you know, so like that's what we're trying to get toward. But yeah, we came back strong, massive fallout, haven't recovered. Um, and we're looking to find a new location because anytime they say with a multi-site, any move to a new space always gives a bump, which is true because when we came back to the skating rink, that was our first week there. And we were when the week before we closed, I think the last number I remember was 178 people. And when we came back to skating, we had like 159. That was the first week there. And then the students went to camp. And like I said, some COVID came back and then that boom, that that dropped the bottom out. And we haven't been able to recover. So. Um, so how have you got? So I guess my question is, I know you guys are doing online to some degree. Are you guys keeping track of those numbers? Are you guys keeping track of metrics? And if so, have you seen uh, a huge fallout with returning? Have you seen – what have you guys seen in all that? We have been keeping metrics really high. We have an online campus minister. And like our online campus is – it is insane right now. Uh, You know, it kind of feels like a necessary evil you got to have anymore these days. I'm very grateful people are tuning in. Um, and actually there's one lady who she attends online and I've never met her, but her, she needed prayer for her daughter. So I called her and I was in Lowe's the other day and she stopped me and she's like, Hey, you prayed with me on the phone. You don't know me, but I attend church on online campus. I think what, what we have inadvertently done with some people and I, and I don't think this is long-term, but I think we have actually given them a new church and that new church is their home. You know, um, just because they've gotten used to it for them, they treat it like being together. I think we had that conversation about what does it mean to be together anymore a while back. And I think a lot of them have redefined what it means to be together right now. So we do have online our metrics. um, One of the things we notice is people go on vacation. They still are attending now, you know, because they're watching online. Um, We're in a high military community, uh, military moving away. Um, they're still have a church until they find something new. And that plays out both in attendance and in tithing. So uh, I think that the online has really saved our butts. I can speak for us. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say I don't actively track numbers. It just, it, I, I was for a while and it just, it's, it's not really worth my time, honestly. What's more worthwhile for me is to walk through my neighborhood uh, once in a while, is to call church members, text them, have meetings when I can. Um, But I do look at them. It's not like I never look. I just don't make it an active part of my normal weekly routine. But you asked some questions uh, in our little document that we have here, like, was there a drop off? And when I look at like our website analytics, we peaked in April of 2020. And then it's been a steady drop off since then. And then our next peak was again around Easter and Mother's Day. So, um, you know, we had a huge jump in beginning of March 2020. And then it's basically been kind of like a steady little decline since then. And when I look at like our Vimeo uh, views for our, you know, our online church, we've been doing all of it on Vimeo. And so um, the analytics there show me basically the same trend. So it's like it spiked when we went online only. And then it dropped off 
and then it spiked again a little bit for Easter, not as much, and then it dropped off again. So, you know, I think it's just a tough thing. My neighborhood is, there's a lot of people here that don't have access to the internet. So like thinking I'm going to reach my community by being online is true, but it's not as true uh, depending on, you know, where you are. Like there's a whole apartment complex, um, but it basically, there's a lot of people there that are on subsidized, you know, uh, housing and stuff. So a lot of them don't even have, they don't really have access to watch a stream. I know I have one church member who I haven't talked to for a long time and she tried to do church online, but she literally didn't have internet that was fast enough to even do it. Couldn't do zoom calls, couldn't connect. So we went from March until like July without even being able to connect more than just like a phone call. And that really did. I mean, that hurt that relationship a lot. We're kind of having a weird reversal whereas you know similar you know we obviously had a huge online you know really boom in march and april of last year and we had done some facebook live but leg- legitimately we started a facebook live a stream um because it was cheaper to do a facebook live than it was to run a cable into the nursery when we had a nursing mom and it's like oh we'll do facebook live instead of you know trying to pipe the sermon into the nursery that way but so, you know, and then once we got better at the production aspects of it, um, and we do everything on Facebook just because we know that's where our people are and that'd be the easiest way for them to get it. So, uh, you know, the first couple of weeks there were, hey, we're, we're getting a thousand views or we're getting 800 views of our service. This is great. And now we're probably stable to about 110, 120 views a week. I can check, I check on the analytics and it's like, okay, the average person is watching for 12 minutes or what or whatever it is so people aren't watching the whole service or the people that are watching the whole service are making up for the people that are only tuning in for four or five minutes here and there but being in florida we have a bunch of snowbirds that have returned up north and because when they left up north things were shut down or whatever it is they are choosing to still be engaged with our church while they're in michigan and minnesota and washington state and canada or well, no snowbirds from Canada have come in this year because COVID. But so that's a really weird thing to be like, okay, well, I know that you're super active at your church at home and you're here for six or seven months out of the year, but now you're engaging with us. And so that's a, it's a weird other conversation and some tension of, you know, no, we want you to, you know, connect in the church where you're at. But I mean, if you want to keep giving online, we're not going to stop you. That's that's actually that, I mean I, that part I was a joke I I promise, <laughs> but that's interesting that how the uh, there's an aspect of snowbirds staying connected that's actually really that's really intriguing and interesting. Um, uh, they mentioned that they had you know they, there was obviously still an Easter bump and then there was not a decline afterwards. Did you find that to be true with y'all? Uh, no, we definitely had an Easter bump and then it was like it was like ghost town the next week. So. That that week yeah. after Easter was a little depressing. Yeah, we had Easter was, oh, this is great. There's people we haven't seen in a year. And then we've seen like some of them. One was like, um, we've got a lady who was in a bad car accident right before COVID happened. And she's in her 80s. And so she was in an assisted living facility. So we couldn't mm. even get to her to go see her. And so her kids like brought her back for Easter. And then and then she wasn't here again until Mother's Day. And so there's there's stuff like that. But then there's also families that we just know they are this is their new normal. And they're going to school and they're going to restaurants, but for whatever reason, coming back to church 
is not something that they're going to be doing on a regular basis. And I think it's a discipleship issue, certainly, but it's also different people are going to have different perspectives when it comes to COVID and to try to, it's you know, tricky, say, hey, it's a tricky yeah, conversation to have right now to stick your finger in someone's face and say, you need to get your kids back in church yeah. might mean you're never going to see that family again. Right. So it's, do you want to trade off what little influence you actually have right now to alienate or lose that influence altogether just to bump attendance numbers a little bit? I was listening to, uh, uh, it's called From the Field. It's the podcast of the author of the last book we read together, Ryan Hughley. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good. They relaunched it, and the recent, the most, the more recent ones that he, after the rebranding and relaunch, are really good. They're really practical. And uh, one of the things he was talking about in the episode I happened to be listening is that, uh, just to keep in mind, the way he phrased it was that nobody is playing with a full deck right now, meaning that all of us are fatigued and all of us are, uh, you know, stressed out and have different fears and anxieties and stuff that, and we've just had a lot of stuff on us for last year and your folks is included in that. And so like, I find it really tricky right now. There's a number of people who, and when I think of them, I think, man, I really need to have a discipleship conversation with them. But at the same time, it's like, ah, man, I just, as I pray and think it through, it's like, it just feels like it's not the right time yet. I was looking at some stats and they were saying that basically this past year has pushed us 10 years down the road as far as the, the church is concerned, you know? So like a lot of the people that were on the way out, you know, it's just, whereas it would have taken 10 years for this to happen, it all happened at once. And I think to your point, Jeff, that's why it feels overwhelming. Cause if I got 10 years to work on uh, some families, we can have the conversation, but if all those families get hit the same year, um, that it feels like there's just so much to do. Where do you even start sometimes with the pastoral care? I know that there was a, uh, I saw a stat that, or it wasn't a stat. It was more like an anecdote where it talked about like, it takes um, so many days to start a habit. And, uh, and the fact that like the COVID forced people to not be in church broke a, a habit that was long instilled in many people. And now to get people to start that habit again, even if you're just talking about the fringe people who are just consistent attenders, much less our, our members, like it's going to be kind of a bit of a journey in the process. And I think that's, um, it's going to be tough. I mean, I know Delma, you mentioned it earlier when you have a new building, you just get like a big bump and, and we launched our campus two weeks before Easter. So Easter was like amazing. We had so many people at our campus um, and it's, it's quite settled down since then. Um, we're not using overflow any, you know, we haven't used overflow in a while since, since Easter actually. And, and, um, it, you know, we, there's not like a, we're not worried about seating is, is what, is what I'm saying. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, like, uh, uh, it, this, the insights of this church is pretty interesting. I do wonder if, if the fact that it's in Florida plays a part of it. Um, you know, the fact that like Florida has probably been way more open and almost like, uh, indifferent towards, uh, a lot of mandates and, uh, policies that, that like, that's hurtful, accurate, <laughs> but hurtful. <laughs> I mean, not, but I mean, you're in, you're in safety Harbor. I mean, this is Miami. Like Miami is even a little bit more wild. It seems like, like during the spring breaks, they were literally like closing off streets because there was too many people. Gathering. Well, even as it, when I was a pastor in Florida, 
even guys that were like in Daytona or Miami would be like, it's a different atmosphere here because of the beach. Like there's just yep. the possible people can just wake up on Sunday and be like, yeah, I'm going to the beach. Yeah. And like when you're in Newport Ritchie or, you know, I mean, Safety Harbor, you have that too. So it's just a different, it's like within Florida, it's even different than the rest of Florida. We'll, we'll have people be like, oh, uh, so, you know, we had to park on the street because we have our jet skis behind the car today. Yeah. And because like <laughs> the like the public marina is less than a quarter mile from the church. And so it's like, you know, so, you know, we're we're parking at church. But is it OK if we park the trailer back here afterwards? Like we'll see, you know, so they're like, you know, in board shorts and, uh, you know, I forget any brand of this, like a Columbia shirt. And they're like, all right, so I'm sitting through. But also, I'm taking up three of your parking spots after church, too, okay? Mm. It's like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the biggest takeaway is is though the CDC is allowing opening, recommend, you know, these looser uh, recommendations and, and our cities and our counties are opening up, uh, the work is still before us. You know, there's still a lot of work to be done, a lot of ministry to be had. And I still even think that, like, I mean, I'll say this from another side that we haven't really talked about. Uh, with the CDC making their new recommendations and cities open up, I know a number of people who are freaking out right now because yeah. they're like, um, "I can't believe uh, we're opening this fast." Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have like, that too. Like, yeah, and 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 like my heart breaks for them because and I'm, like I, there there are people who were who have been coming because we've been wearing masks who I think will now go online. So we're going to see like a little bit of a flip. There's going to be other yeah. people who kind of were like, I'm not going to wear a mask, who are going to start coming. And then there's people who are like, man, I think this is too much. And they're good. And, and it's the same, the same kind of like pastoral patience you've had with the, the I'm not going to wear a mask people. You're going to have to start to have with people who are pr- too afraid. So as a pastor, you're really, you really need to kind of, man, you got to pray a lot right now. I mean, you should have been praying a lot already, but you know, it's just, it's really hard. And I, can I just share something like just get a little vulnerable? Um, I just want to encourage other pastors who are on the younger end of things, who are in smaller churches in a city where there is a larger church. Um, I am just struggling right now myself. There's a number of families who I know uh, are going to that larger church because they offer things that we as a smaller church cannot offer. And it's a very difficult thing because you feel the loss of the friendship and you feel the loss of... Um, you know, when you're when you're 40, 50 people and two families with kids leave to go to the mega church down the street that has children's ministry and because you don't, um, it's really, really easy to take that personally. And it's really, really, I think that's what our enemy would love. Uh, so you really, as a pastor, you really need to figure out how to deal with that. Uh, talk to your spouse about whether or not you're a little edgy over it, because I've found that myself, I'm a little edgy about it. Uh, and so I just, you know, I just want to... Open, take the veil back a little bit and say that it's a struggle. It's hard. It's just is hard. And so you got to focus. Uh, there's a phrase, I don't know where I heard it, but um, you got to move with the movers, meaning, mm. you know, you got to, you got to pastor the people that want to be under your, uh, you as a pastor and focus on mission. So as much as it hurts to lose people, I live in a neighborhood with tons of kids. So instead of spending all my time being mad about something I can't control anyway, and if they're going, the other church they're going to is a good church. It's not a bad church. Their kids are getting discipled. They have friends, all good things, but it just flares up those insecurities that many of us struggle with as pastors 
particularly younger pastors of smaller churches. Uh, and I would just say, encourage you to like make sure you're getting enough sleep, you're eating right, you're spending time in prayer, uh, and then you know focus on your mission and reach people in your neighborhood that maybe like in my neighborhood they can't get to that church because they don't all of them don't own cars, but they can walk to mine. So focus on that and then let the Lord do what he's going to do. Oh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we have a really, really good uh, main segment uh, for you guys to, to hear. So we'll be right back. Back, we are about to hear from a good friend. Her name is Ashley. She works for... Orange, uh, a, a ministry resource site that mi- uh, ministers to to basically the whole family. She specifically is uh, the director over middle school ministry strategies, and and she's just a, a wonderful friend, very very insightful. But she, I, I brought her on because I wanted to have a, a unique conversation when it comes to singleness of being single in ministry, but also how we as pastors and, and, and ministry leaders can care. For those who are single in our ministry, it, it, it's a conversation that we often don't talk about. It's a conversation that even in the way we write our sermons, we exclude them unintentionally. And, and I think that uh, I think this discussion, when you hear Ashley talk, is going to be very, very beneficial for both of you who are single and need some encouragement and some uh, yes and amens. I agree to that kind of stuff. As well, did you as say both of, of you? Both, both singles and married is what I'm, what I'm saying. I was going to say, oh, there's no. more than there. There are there are more than two single people that are listening to this podcast, right? <laughs> well, I didn't thought he was talking to one of us, and I was like, I haven't been single since I was like 15. I know. I'm also talking to the married folk who, <laughs> okay, uh, who also that makes way to, more sense. <laughs> who who maybe need some um, kind of a different perspective on on how to care for those who are on your team, on your staff, in your church who are single. Um, it's a great, great conversation. Uh, uh, check out Ashley. And uh, and yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, Ashley, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm thrilled that you're able to join us. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about a question uh, that I think uh, uh, it's something that we don't really talk about in the church, right? And we don't talk about it very often. And I think because we don't talk about it, we see a lot of like hurts and awkward conversations and people feeling like they're um, marginalized on the outskirts of of the church community because of this. And I just I just want to first thank you for your willingness and your boldness to come on here and talk to me about it. Um, I just have a, 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 a special affection to talk about these type of things because it's like um, because we don't talk about it, people are hurt. But when we talk about it, people get liberated and people want to do more. And so I just want to thank you again for for talking to us about it. Oh my gosh, I am so honored you invited me on. And this is, let me just say, not an easy topic to talk about at all. There's so so many like preconceived notions about this thing. And honestly, I've never wanted to build a platform on this topic. <laughs> this, is not, this is not like my goal in life to talk about this, but I also feel like I have a pretty unique perspective on it. So I also want to talk about it because it's actually something that's helped me is vocalizing a lot of it so that's great before we dive into the topic of singleness can you tell me more about your role at orange what you love about it and share some about your like speaking opportunities and things like that oh my gosh um well i currently serve as the director of middle school strategy at orange and um basically what that means is anything that goes to middle schoolers to parents of middle schoolers to 
leaders of middle schoolers, anybody who works with middle schoolers, I get a chance um, to be part of those resources. And so um, I've been working with middle schoolers for over 16 years in education, athletic, and ministry settings. And I feel like it kind of like marries all of the experiences I've had in this specific role. Um, and what I love so much about it is meeting other people who are passionate about the middle school phase and who are excited to pour into them. And like a lot of parents, for example, who are like, what happened to my kid? They didn't used to talk this way. <laughs> like, who are they hanging out with? They're, you know what I mean? Like, I just love partnering with parents and partnering with ministry leaders and pastors about like anyone who is passionate about it, because it's a phase that often gets forgotten or underestimated. So yeah. I feel like the, the middle school years um, is, is, is physically the most awkward years for a lot of students, but also like it seems like the like a lot of times youth ministries and churches, they um they don't exactly know how to handle it because they're they're too mature for the kids ministry, but they're not quite ready for like the conversations that are happening with the juniors and seniors, and so like you know I I I've, I've always tell people like you know the moment you can separate middle school and high school the better because it's like to be able to have that targeted kind of programming and Bible studies for that age group is only going to help them flourish and grow. And I think, you know, there is, um, there's a lot of like, at least maybe anecdotal data, maybe, you know, the actual data where like, if you can grip a kid's heart in middle school, you have a all throughout high school. Right. And so like, I'm just, I just like, I, I just appreciate all you're doing for middle school. Um, and, and if you are, if you're listening to this and you're in youth ministry or you're a senior pastor, they can make decisions over your youth ministry. Like uh, talk to Ashley, get, get your middle school on track. And, uh, and it's pretty great stuff. I appreciate you. Yes. Let's talk about all the things. <laughs> there you go. Hey, well, let, let's get into the, let's, let's punch awkward in the face. Let's get in the minutia of this whole conversation of singleness. What are, what are some of the biggest lies you have seen when it comes to, to being single and being a Christ follower. And, and, and then, and, and so, so like kind of personally, when it comes to your faith and being single and then, and then also taking the next step of like, when it comes to being a ministry leader, when it comes to working in the church and, and being single, what are some of the lies that you keep hearing when it comes to your singleness? Oh, this is such a good question. Okay. So when I think about the future of the church, I want us as the church to do better in terms of this topic. And here's what I mean by that is somewhere along the way, um, I feel like we as the church started almost idolizing marriage, which feels like a very heavy phrase. I don't even know if that's the right phrase, but in a weird way, we've almost made the point of life, marriage and children. Although marriage and children are from God, it's an amazing gift from God. Like, I believe that with all of my heart, but like God's purpose on for us on this earth is God's kingdom come and God's equipped each of us with gifts and each of us to experience God and help others experience God in unique ways. Like that's the purpose of life. And if marriage is part of that equation and that's what someone desires, great. If it's not, it doesn't, this is the lie. It doesn't mean they're incomplete or it doesn't mean they haven't arrived, or it doesn't mean they should be excluded from things. And so I would say, I would love to see the church. And a lot of times it's subtle things. Like 
I, we look at divorce rates and this is just, you know, me thinking out loud and things I've read on it, but we look at divorce rates and, and they're high, they're the highest they've been, you know, and then we kind of back up and we think, you know, in youth ministry and children's ministry, is there anything we can be doing proactively to help kids and teenagers as they get, a, you know, into their late teenage years, their twenties, their thirties, is there anything we can do foundationally to help? I don't know, change the trajectory of their life. And usually it's subtle things. Like when we say to a kid, one day when you get married, we basically tell them there's not a choice. We basically tell them this is the path for you. Like, and if you don't actually end up on that path, you're a failure. And like, I think a lot of, I mean, unfortunately I went to all my friends' weddings in their twenties and and all, I walked through a lot of their divorces in their thirties. And sometimes I wonder, like, do people rush to the altar because they feel like that's what they're supposed to be doing in life? Like, is that the ultimate purpose? Are they happy in that? Is that the goal of this whole thing, you know? And if we could back up and help teenagers realize that you can actually choose to be single and one of the lies is you're weird if you're single or something's wrong with you. Like, that must be why you're single or like, oh, you're in your 30s, you're single. What's wrong with you? You know, like that comes up a lot. Like, how do we put people in front of like, especially even even the sex series, even in the relationship series? What do we do? We bring a married couple on stage and we talk to them about it, which I love marriage. I don't want anyone to think I don't love it. I'm so for it. And like, love my married friends and love their children. I, that's what I do for a living. But I just wish we could help kids and teenagers realize that it's a choice and that you're not a failure if you don't get married or if you choose not to get married you can be totally normal and you know not desire that for your life um i think another lie or assumption is that everybody wants to be married you know people say things like i remember one time i was speaking frank at this lady in the front row was like ashley come here jumped off the stage and she said to me um are you are you married and I was like, no, I'm not. And she goes, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. And in my mind, I'm like, <laughs> don't slide tackle her. <laughs> like, sorry, ex-athlete here. <laughs> I'm like, um, I was like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm doing great. I love what I get to do. And she goes, well, don't you ever want to be married? And I said, I, I don't think so. I'm really happy doing what I do. Like, I love it. I feel so fulfilled. I have amazing friendships. And she's like, but you're so gorgeous. You're going to waste that. And I was like, in that moment, I just thought, I understand she was trying to like, maybe like be there for me in a way or like encourage me. But there was an assumption in the way she was talking to me of, I mean, I know people who are married who don't have kids feel this pressure too. Do you have kids yet? When are you having kids? When are you going to think about having kids? Like, it's like we the church pressures us to this next thing. I'm just going on and on, Frank. I feel like a lot of those assumptions we need to change when it comes to the church. Um, I also think lies are like that single people have a different time availability when it comes to work. And one of the things my good friend Katie Edwards always says is there's the only difference between single people and married people is that they choose to do something different in their free time. But when it comes to the professional time, it should be exactly the same. And 
somebody who's married chooses to be married or chooses to have children and somebody who's not married chooses to like me raise a nonprofit across the world. <laughs> like, and it matters to me in a way. And I find purpose in that just like somebody finds purpose in having a child. And so I feel like, um, that is a lie. Um, yeah. And honestly, that sing- single people are liabilities is a lie or people who don't have children are liabilities. Um, and I think it's all of that is like subtle. It's just indirect. And I don't think anybody means it. I just think we're so like accustomed to it. I think we don't even realize it until we have these conversations and it's like tiny little things. And I'm sure we're going to talk more about that in, in a bit. I mean, that's so good. I mean, I think what you just expressed is like a lot of layers of nuance for the, I don't think people know this yet. So Orange is headquartered in, a, in Atlanta. Is it proper Atlanta? Um, yeah. And so you're in the Deep South, and there is this kind of like cultural context, whether you're Christian or not, that like once you graduate high school, you probably should be married already. But like, especially in the evangelical South, it's like, you know, in my Bible college, there was a joke that the women that were only there were there for their MRS degree. They were there to right. like, you know, marry a good pastor or something. And I think that like there is this cultural context in the South, and I would actually say it's actually probably all over the country if you're a Christian that like like godly women or godly people in general get married very very young, otherwise, and they throw out that verse about burning in lust, and and you don't want to burn in lust. And I, and, and you brought up something that was really interesting because you talked about like because I was a youth pastor for over a decade, and and I did the relationship series, and one thing I got really convicted of was the fact that like I I, I would talk about sex and dating and and show them like the solution is marriage and that's not the solution right and 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 i was i remember one time i was rewriting my dating series i was re- rereading the genesis passage about why god gave adam eve and, and i got really convicted because I, I think oftentimes we use those passages to say adam was incomplete without eve and it wasn't that Adam was incomplete because he needed a wife. Adam was incomplete because there was nothing like his kind in the entire world. Like there was God who was great and there was all these animals, but there was no other kind like him. And so when God gave Adam Eve, it wasn't so much that like he was giving him a bride to complete him. He was giving him a helpmate, another human that was like him to be with him. And I think, and I think like, there's this there's this lie, I don't know if Ryan Gosling started it or who started it, but that we're incomplete without a spouse. But that is also, a, that, that that's such a lie and an assault on the image of God in all of us. Like the image that's of God totally, yes. makes us fully complete, whether we are married, whether we are single, whether we have kids or don't have kids, like our, our identity is complete because we have the image of God stamped on us. And so, therefore, our our value, our validity, our our fullness is complete in Him. And I think that I think that the, the, those conversations of whether it's loneliness or con- contentment is not necessarily a fulfillment in marriage because you just talked about it. You you stood in weddings in your twenties, and now you're watching them get divorced in their thirties. I think a lot of times, young evangelicals in their twenties, what they actually need is meaningful friendships but they're fulfilling that void with a relationship and forcing themselves to get married. And and then we see these like terrible divorces in their thirties. And I think it's because we as a church have, and I don't think you overstated it, have made marriage an idol. 
saying like the end goal for any single person should be marriage. And then we, we, we do this bait and switch and like, what's your married? Okay. Congratulations, but you're not done yet. It's not until you have kids. And so mm-hmm. we are setting up starting at young age kids and eventually are, you know, young 20 somethings into their thirties. We're setting them up for failure because we think their completeness is not satisfied or fulfilled until there's another person with a ring on them. And there's some little kids that are in their house when ultimately like if we have Jesus, we have everything and literally marriage, children, everything else is a great blessing, but it's not the definition of fulfillment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. And I think what you said is so true. Like, I think people can find intimacy in friendships. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. And I'm not talking about like a hookup buddy. I'm talking about like, like somebody who really knows you like in true relationship, like the body of Christ relationship to known and be known is one of the greatest gifts. And like, when you have a friend who knows you intimately in terms of like your biggest fears or your Enneagram number and your shame spiral or whatever it is, like you can, you can feel connected in a way that is fulfilling. And also you can find intimacy. I mean, we all know what it feels like when you have that interaction with someone at church or in ministry, and you're like, you know, God is using you in that moment, and it feels filling. And you're like, I know God has called me in this moment to be here. And I feel like if you are pursuing your purpose, and you are using the gifts that God's given you, you feel that fulfillment, and it doesn't have to be in another person. It can actually be in how God's wired you, and you're actually using what he's wired you to do. So I just feel like we can expand our definition of that. And I, I would love to see the church do that. And like you said, we, we need to start young. And it's not that we never say to a kid, one day, if you get married, it's tweak the language, say one day, if you choose to get married, like, and it's more than just, you know, it's funny, like when, when people talk about singleness, they'll say, do you have the gift of singleness? And it's like, do we say that to married people? Like, do you have the gift of marriage? Like, Is that like, like, we don't talk like that. It's like such a weird thing to say to someone. I I feel like, yes, God might have a plan for somebody to get married. God might have a plan for someone to single, or you can choose that, you know? And I just, I feel like it's empowering for people to realize, like every time I talk to teenagers about that, I literally say that I'm actually, this is, this could sound prideful, (laughs) but we're friends. I'm like, if I wanted to be married, I could be married right now. Let's go. Let's I, go. I totally, it's a funny thing to say, but I'm like, I'm good right now. I always tell my teenagers, the goal in life is God's kingdom come. So you run as fast as you can towards God and all that God has prepared for you. And while you're running, if you don't have to slow down, turn around or change directions and somebody's running next to you, then you're like, how are you doing? You know, like. It's like, okay, you're worth it, but don't slow down. Don't turn around. Don't change directions. It's not, that's not the point of life. And so anyway. No, I love that. I I mean, you said like, it's a small language thing. Instead of saying like, when you get married, saying, if you choose to get married, I think that's important because when you say, when you get married over and over again, whether from their youth all the way to adulthood and they find themselves not married, that brings unnecessary shame that should not be shameful. Like there's no shame in that. And one thing I've noticed, and and in my church, we have a, we have a, 
I'm a part of the preaching team, but every Thursday we go into the sanctuary and whoever's preaching, we hear their sermon and critique it. And one thing, and this is not me trying to pat myself on the back. This is me convicting myself over the years and encouraging others to do it is a lot of our illustrations um, tend to lean towards uh, married couples with kids. And so therefore it feels like it excludes singles out and trying to be more inclusive of singles in your illustrations, in your sermons, um, to not make it, to not, because in the absence of bringing them up brings shame to folks who are, who are single and feel like that they are not enough or that, you know, they, they haven't reached that, that next tier of Christianity because they're, right. they're single. And the, the well, one more thing that gets said a lot, I feel like is when people refer to it as your season of singleness, mm. it, can you imagine if I said that to a married person, <laughs> like, in your season of marriage, your season of marriage, like, what like who says that like can we just talk like instead of a quote a season of singleness preparing you for marriage which must be what's next like let's just eliminate that from our vocabulary and like just celebrate where they are right now and don't assume that everybody's path looks exactly the same i really think we could change an entire generation if we did that that's good that's good um the next question i want to ask you is, is uh certainly you know uh, you, you mentioned this in the beginning of like, you don't want to be the, the spokesperson of singleness. It just <laughs> kind of happens to be that way. Um, so, uh, and, and being in the South, being in the evangelical culture, people bringing unnecessary pressures and awkward statements. How have you been able to overcome certain insecurities that you may have had or have been put upon you? And how do you stay content in the midst of your singleness? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So just to clarify, I am a Northern girl living in a Southern world, <laughs> which is a whole different dynamic. <laughs> well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Southern boy that lives in the Midwest. And this is a, I feel like I'm in another planet. So I understand yeah. the, the culture shock. <laughs> um, gosh, you ask such a good question. Um, I feel like it's it's been a journey. I mean, I don't feel like I kind of started finding language around it until I was in my 20s and trying to like you know dated several and was in several longer term relationships and kind of like trying to figure out like is this what it is about like is this is this what I want like I don't know what I want in life like I kind of just want to figure this out and it's really hard because there aren't a lot of people who talk about this in a, in, in a way, because there are a lot of people who are single who really want to be married, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's amazing that they want that. But there aren't a lot of single people who are talking about it in this way. And so I kind of felt lonely, um, which is why anytime someone asks me to talk about it, I try to, even though I don't want to be a spokesperson for this, because I'm like, maybe this will help someone listening. And by the way, this is a guy thing, too. I just had a conversation with one of my guy friends. He's in his 30s. He's single. And he was saying, like, he got recommend, like a recommendation from the pastor of his church that said, like, if you want to be taken more serious professionally, you need to go to seminary and you need to get married. And I'm like, what? wait, but hold on, hold on. Why, why is that the advice? Like, let's do better, church. <laughs> like, you know, that's not fair. But I would say it's, it's having conversations like this, but counseling helped me a lot to put language around how I'm wired, who I am, what I want in life and why I don't want to fit into like a box. Like people are telling me to like growing up, I never played wedding. I played, I didn't ever play baby Barbie house wedding. I played school, gave the neighbors homework, got mad when they didn't do it. Like 
that was just who I was. And like, I remember I went to a, a Catholic school for elementary and the girls had to wear these jumpers and the guys had to wear like the khaki pants and the white like um, polo shirt. Well, I started wearing the guy's uniform because I'm like, I don't want to wear a dress. And which is so random, but I was like, don't put me in a box. Don't say I have to wear a dress. Like, I just always been who I am. I'm like, I want to kind of be me and I want to, I don't want to do just the thing that culture expects me to do. Um, and so I would say um, also surrounding myself with people who understand what I'm chasing in life and are celebrating it. I think that is like such a little thing. I, I think we're going to get to that probably later, but it's just surrounding myself with people who aren't pressuring that, but who are celebrating what I'm doing in life. There's, there's a lot of well-meaning people, right? And like, I think, I think, I think a lot of folks that we interact with in church, they, they just grew up with an understanding that like marriage is like the pinnacle for womanhood or the pinnacle for a man. I mean, that, that statement you said, like, you'll be taken more seriously as a pastor if whatever you say after that sentence, I don't care if it's, you say marriage, children. I, someone really told me one time after I preach, Frank, you'll be taken more seriously as a pastor if you shave your beard off. And I'm like, who comes up with these arbitrary rules? Like, what, 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 like why are we doing this? And it's, you are choosing to make this standard of people are taking more seriously if, um, how about we just take each other seriously, period, because we're all creating the image of God, right? And like, mm -hmm. I appreciate that. So you, you, you kind of mentioned this about the people you surround yourself with. I, I'm looking at the analytics of, of my podcast and um, our podcast is 90% male, 10% <laughs> female. Hey guys! <laughs> and, and so if I, were, if I were to take a guess, like majority of the people listening are, are in ministry, that's probably a true statement, but also they're mostly men, but also they're probably mostly married. And so my question to you is this, is what is a piece of advice you would give to those who are married listening to the podcast to understand singleness or at least to honor their single um, friends better? This is a great question. And also I'm very happy that 90% are men and that if most of them are married, great, because that really is really who I want to talk to when I, when I talk about this topic, because I think if we can all change it, we're going to need them on board to change this as a church. Um, but a simple thing that you can start doing, because I'm assuming you have single people, either you're raising one or you're working alongside one, or you just hired one or, you know, you're friends with one. Um, are you celebrating milestones in their life that don't have to do with family? For example, if you choose to go to college and you graduate college, if not, it's age 21, what milestones do you have in your life after that if you don't get married? You don't have your kid's graduation. You don't have your kid's baptism. You don't have your kid's what first communion or whatever faith you are. Like, what milestones do you, does anybody celebrate? You don't have a baby shower. You don't have a wedding shower. Like, you know, we don't have showers for people who are like, I didn't marry the wrong person. Yay. Buy me a gift. Like that isn't a thing, but <laughs> for all the married people out there, like, are you celebrating things like a built-in birthday every year? Birthdays are huge for single people. Like what else are they celebrating? Um, a new, like a launch of their new website a book deal they got. Like, are you celebrating things that matter them? I threw my sister, who's a year older than me and is also single, she got a puppy, threw her a puppy shower because this was a huge milestone for her. She wanted a puppy for years. So like, what? how are you celebrating milestones in the life of singles would be one of my pieces of advice. Um, 
I would take uh, in inventory of if you're working, if you're leading a single or if you're working alongside them, are you expecting different work hours? I remember at one church I worked at when we were in recruiting season for volunteers, they asked me if I could do all of the evening um, interviews and they were going to do all the day ones, which I, by the way, I don't a lot of times mind flexing, but I don't want it to, I don't want somebody to assume that I'm okay doing that because I don't have somebody to go home to. And that's not fair. I would also say, when's the last time you gave the single people in your ministry a raise? Because getting a raise because you're getting married or because you're having a child really isn't fair if you're not considering the single person. Like, have you thought, like, have you thought about a raise for that person? And think about the last five raises you gave. Was it because of a life changed circumstance, you know? So I would take an inventory of that. Um, and then also just like find out this is, this is tricky because I don't know the person that you'd be talking to. Some people are super sensitive about this topic like talking about it because they really want to get married and they feel rejected or they're hurting or whatever, but like understanding what somebody wants. I've surrounded myself professionally and personally with people who never try to set me up, who are like laughing when somebody says something because they know me. Like I'm open about it, but not everybody's like that. So just be aware of that when it comes to single people, but celebrate them. And then one last thing, small groups, when, when staff have small, I have a guy friend who's in his thirties, a different guy friend. And when he came on staff at a church, um, the church pastors and their wives all had small group together, but he wasn't allowed to be in it because he wasn't married yet. So he had to go find his own small group, but all of the single small groups were 22, 25, 28 year olds. He's in his thirties. So he did not have community in a brand new city that he moved to because he wasn't married. Like, can we just like figure why, why can't single people sit with married people at a wedding? Like, why do we have to, why single people should be integrated in the church. Single people have a role in the kingdom of God. Single people have a role in families and helping parents raise kids. Like, they're not, they, they're not their own thing. They're part of. So how do we make it integrated? So good. I, um, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who's a single woman, and she was like, she was saying that Sunday morning church services is really difficult because everyone is sitting with their spouses or with their kids. And, and she sometimes feels like she, she, she sits alone and sometimes she wonders, she's like, I'm in the small group with this married couple, with this other woman who's married. I, I wish she would invite me to sit with them on Sunday morning, mm. you know? And, and it's like, it's like, I think there's this assumption by some married people that like single people would rather sit with other single people when single people just want to sit with people, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's, that's, uh, that's a good point. You, you talked about celebrations. Here's something that I don't think people give enough credit for. Um, when single people pay off debt or when single people, when, pe when single people, here's a big one. And, I, and every time all my, all, I, I feel like single men do this a, a bit more often than single women. But I feel like whenever I see a single woman do this, I want to just like throw a big party for them when they purchase a home. When they when they decide to like not rent but own their own home, I think I think we should have like a giant housewarming party, but make it even bigger because it's like unlike married couples who like bring in you know their their furniture and their home stuff together, and when they get married they have like you know all these wedding gifts and like four crock pots and all this other stuff, right? You know, like say, hey, can I buy you a comforter set for your new 
king size bed that you just purchased for yourself, right? Like, like I think I think celebrating financial freedom and and debt relief or or home like buying paying off a car, buying off a house. I mean, those are big deals that you could celebrate. That I think we only make a big deal about it when we see that married couple buying a home or something. Meal trains. When a single person breaks something, has surgery, gets sick, nobody's setting meal trains up for them typically. It's for the family who has kids. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's, that's true. like a really small thing. That's Go good. ahead. That's good. What piece of advice would you give on the other side of this to other singles who are listening to this? Because I know there's quite a few married people, but I also know quite a few singles, many of which, I, some of which may are, are like aspiring to get married and want to get married. Um, some are probably DMing me right now, like, "Hey, it, what's Ashley's number? Can I can I talk to her?" <laughs> <laughs> some of which who are probably like, you know, fully content in their singleness, whatever the case may be. What yeah. kind of advice would you give them as someone mm-hmm. like you who who says like, "Hey, I'm I'm good. I'm all, I'm gravy right now. Like, I'm content." What would you What would you recommend to them? What would you How would you encourage them right now? I think I would say you're not the only one. Like, I know it feels really lonely in the ministry world. Like you're not surrounded by a ton of people in maybe the same boat as you, but I would say get connected to other people, regardless if they're single or not. Um, people who celebrate your singleness and where you are in life and love you and know you and encourage you and cheer you on. And also don't wait for your life to start, like pursue your life, pursue your dreams, pursue your goals. Like don't wait for quote, the one to show up to start living or four years are going to go by and you're going to have a lot of regrets. Like just pursue God and pursue with all of your mind, with all of your heart, run as fast as you can. Don't slow down. Don't turn around. Don't change directions. Run towards God. And if somebody's running next to you, great. If not, you're fine. So good. So good. Ashley, thank you so much um, for, for, being bold and talking to us and, and sharing your heart. Is there anything you would like to plug to let people know about what you're doing, where we can find you, all that kind of stuff? Um, I guess I'd say just reach out. Um, my handle is at Ashley Bohent on all platforms. And if you have any questions or um, just want to chat more about it, reach out. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group where we get to share ideas and make each other better.